Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone. We're back. This is Working Scientist and Nature Careers Podcast, and I'm Julie Gould. We're starting a new series all about the mid-career of a scientist's working life. I'm calling it the muddle of the middle. I know it doesn't sound appealing, but basically it's a stage that, as you'll hear, has no clear beginning, a very murky middle, and no clear end. Hurrah! So... As always, let's start at the beginning with the question, how do you define the mid-career? I found it quite obvious. I thought the first and best place to look would be with the funding agencies. Here's a few examples of how they defined it. The British Academy says you're mid-career when you're no more than 15 years post-PhD. Leslie Risler from the National Science Foundation in the USA says the mid-career stage is... That period in time after you have received tenure, so generally around the associate professor stage, that's the easiest way to define it. It's, it's a period of time where you, you're not an early career researcher any longer, you've been promoted, but you still have a long active career in the future. The National Research Foundation in South Africa says they're researchers who are 40 years and younger and in possession of a doctoral degree. I have to admit, 40 years does seem rather young to be in the mid-career. But this 40-year mark is also used by the Ecological Society of America. Only those 40 years and younger are allowed to apply for their George Mercer Award. Some researchers use awards like this as a way to label themselves in the mid-career like Jeremy Fox, a professor of ecology at the University of Calgary in Canada. I had for a long time kind of harbored a sort of secret dream that maybe I'd win uh, the Mercer Award, which is an award that the Ecological Society of America gives out as sort of their paper of the year award. And you have to be younger than 41 years old to be eligible for, at the time your paper is published to be eligible for that award. And so at, uh, at some point I realized like, wait, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not eligible for that anymore. (laughs) I've got two more examples for you, and these two groups appear to be a little more mindful and inclusive. The Australian Health Research Alliance says a mid-career researcher is a researcher with postgraduate research experience with the equivalent of 5 to 15 cumulative years, allowing for professional or personal career interruptions. The definition is inclusive of researchers with or without a PhD. 
And finally, the UK Society for Behavioural Medicine says, A mid-career researcher is someone who has a general sense of developing responsibility or autonomy for research, i.e. an experienced and senior postdoctoral researcher. They are likely to be someone who is starting to supervise, manage or mentor doctoral students and researchers and or has started to show leadership in other academic or clinical domains, i.e. research-led teaching, running or developing courses. But I think it is this statement from Cara Tannenbaum, a professor at Montreal University in Canada and scientific director of the Institute of Gender and Health for the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, that really sums it up. But more or less, it is the vague period between when you are still considered an early career researcher and when someone tells you that you're in the more senior part of your career. So if you can't rely on a solid, agreed definition from funders and governing bodies, how do you know when you get to this grey, murky zone that we call the mid-career? It creeps up on you, says Inga Mewburn, the Director of Research Development at the Australian National University. No one tells you your mid-career. You just suddenly are, because suddenly a lot of the supports that used to be available to you are not there anymore. No one gives you a time limit for that. And it's very slippery for most people, particularly in the sciences. You're asked to do a lot more of the boots on the ground admin work. And it just slowly dawns on you that suddenly you're mid-career. Much like being middle-aged, actually. Suddenly (laughs) you find yourself extremely busy. And I think that's the the tell. Great. So the grey area, a not very well-defined section of the career whose end is vaguely determined by your peers. Inga has a real knack for telling it like it is, so I asked her to describe the difference between the early and mid-career stages in the most honest way she could. In the early career, she says... Ignorance was expected and welcomed, and when you expressed any ignorance or did something ignorant, someone would tell you. Your supervisor would tell you, your panel would tell you, people that you worked with would correct you, people would show you technique. I'm not saying it's easy, but when you reach out, the help is there. I think the thing for the mid-career researchers, the problems are harder to define. You're expected to have your shit together and maybe you don't. Becoming vulnerable is more difficult and the stakes are just higher. I mean, often you're at that stage where you've got to justify your existence there by the productive output, whether that's papers or teaching or whatever it, it counts to. So that output and that record and the building of the profile that goes with it is a lot of work. And it's work that often doesn't get packaged into your week. So your week might be dealing with people, bureaucracy, paperwork, presenting. And so the actual writing, often in the evenings. I mean, even to this day, I I control my time really rigorously, like crazy rigorously, but I can't fit writing a book into my year. I had to do it on the holidays like everyone else. Whereas when you're in early career research, that stuff's sort of packaged in your day, the actual doing of it. On top of this, you've got to remember that people might also have young families to look after or elderly parents to take care of or even pets. And let's not forget those who aren't partnered up. They want to go out, they want to have a social life too and people have hobbies and activities to help keep them sane. You know, there's a lot that's got to fit into your week. It's juggling, you know, it's juggling all the the responsibilities and hoping none of the balls are going to crash or break in the process. Yeah. 
That's Salome Masume, an obstetrician and gynaecologist, associate professor at the University of Cape Town in South Africa, and an awardee of the South African Medical Research Council Mid-Career Research Award. At one point in her career, Salome had a few too many balls up in the air. As well as looking after a young family, she was also working as a clinician, and she was building up her own research group. So did she manage to keep all the balls from crashing around her ears? No, she didn't. Instead, she had to be a little bit clever with her time. The important thing for me was um, was balancing a full clinical load plus a full and and trying to develop myself as a researcher. And I realized that research was happening after hours, and yet it was something that was really important to me. And so when I decided, as 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 taking the 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 break from clinical from day-to-day clinical practice, it was so that I could spend more time growing as a researcher. And a big part of it was, you know, protecting my time and, you know, not not doing the clinic, not doing calls, you know, not having my weekends free also meant that I'm working within, you know, normal working hours and trying to fit things that in the past I was doing at night into my daytime job. So from the perspective of somebody who is an outsider, someone who hasn't been a mid-career research scientist, it sounds like rather a tough position to be in. I think it's actually a really difficult part of your career, quite honestly. And now that I'm starting to transition out of it, now I see how difficult it was. It's also like, like with anything, it's the muddle of the middle, right? So... You've sort of got past the problems at the start, the things that you don't know that you don't know, and you're in the muddle of the middle. Um, and the guidance needs to be very bespoke and particular to you, but there's less people around to give you guidance. Okay, so here it is. I'm going to try and be your guide through the mid-career. In these next few episodes, we'll talk to current and retired scientists and researchers about the definition of the mid-career, or lack thereof, Also about the clash of mid-career and mid-life, about time management, which is something that almost every single person I spoke to said was the most useful skill in working your way through the mid-career. We'll also talk about managing politics in mid-career, something no one tells you about before you get there, and a bunch of other useful bits of advice I've collected over the past few months. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.